Okay, good evening. So here we are in the Hashkafa project, and really our first topic we'll be tackling this evening is the issue of questioning God. Are we allowed to? Are we encouraged to? What is the Hashkafa Satora regarding questioning Hashem? Now, to do this justice in 35 minutes is just silly. However, the goal of this evening is to scratch the surface to at least have a little bit of a deeper and expanded perception of what is the Torah's hashkafa when it comes to asking questions about, relating to, or directly to Hashem. The starting point, if you were to ask most maminim b'nei maminim, believers, is it appropriate to question the infinite, almighty, God. When you phrase it like that, the answer would seem to be, of course not. How dare you question God? And we find this idea, we have a Mishnah in Brachos. Just like we make a bracha when something good happens, we also make a bracha on Ra, something bad. Where do we learn this from? the Pasuk in Kriyishma, where the Torah says there's a mitzvah to love Hashem with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Ubechol me'odecha is the third one. Me'odecha, the second interpretation of the Mishnah is Bechol mida umida shuhu modeid lecha Anything Hashem throws your way, any measure that Hashem um, puts in your path, our feeling should be, I'm grateful. I thank you for this opportunity. No matter if it's tov or ra, I say thank you. And that's where we derive the halacha, that we make a bracha even on that which seems to be bad. Now the wording of the tour, when he speaks about this halacha, he says, we make a separate bracha, obviously. A bracha for tov is hatov hametiv. And when something tragic happens, you make a bracha of dayin ha'emis. You, Hashem, are the dayin ha'emis, the true judge. Now, how does one make that bracha? What's the proper mindset? Explains the Torah. Yeah. One is obligated to make a bracha on that which seems evil or negative or tragic with a clarity of mind and a yearning of the soul. Just like one makes a bracha with joy when something, when something good happens. Now is he saying when tragedy strikes, lo elenu, and one says the bracha of Baruch Atah Hashem, Dayan Ha'emis, you're supposed to feel joy? Is that what the Torah said? He didn't say that. If you read him carefully in the Bach, one of the great commentators on the Torah, he points this out. The Torah says, in the same way that when I make a bracha on that which I perceive to be good, 
So obviously I do have this simcha, this, this feeling of, of satisfaction and joy. Then that bracha will be said, benefish shlema, with the feeling of serenity, with the clarity of mind. In that same mindset, I should strive to say the bracha of Baruch Dai and Ha'emes. But it's not with joy. Why is that the case? Because by a show of hands, who here is actually happy if something tragic would happen? And the answer is nobody. We're human beings, and we have emotions. And it's not normal to expect that we'll be besimcha when there's something that tragic takes place. What is required, though, and what is expected, is that we can at least say the bracha with the clarity of mind, with the feeling of bitachot, with a reliance in Hashem, but not besimcha. So we have this Mishnah that seems to be giving us the basic guideline. No matter what happens, I don't have to respond in the exact same way because I'm human. Something that's good will make me glad. Something that's tragic will make me sad. And that's normal. But I do have to respond with a bracha. I have to have a recognition that it's me'es Hashem. This is all a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Now to take this one step further, and this is all just clarifying that starting point of what would we assume the answer is to the issue of questioning God. The Ramchal and the Masil Yesharim, he speaks about how one develops and cultivates a love for Hashem. And then he also speaks about some of the experiences in life that can serve as a machitza, as a blockage between me and really feeling that, that love and relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. A classic blockage is when bad things happen. How do we deal with suffering? How do we deal with tragedy? So the Ramchal says, I'll tell you two ideas. The first one is Shavalachal Nefesh, which means Anybody can do it. You don't have to be in a very high madrega to be able to utilize the first concept. The second concept, though, that I'm going to share with you, this is something that takes a little bit more work and focus. So the first universal way of dealing with suffering, says the Ramchal, is the classic mantra that we have in the Gemara, that we remind ourselves, kol ma da'ovid rachmana da'tavhu da'ovid. Everything that happens, if we understand it, that's wonderful. If we don't, bottom line is, letav huda avid, we believe that it's for our best. And we remind ourselves of that reality. That's one way of dealing with difficulty. Then he says that there's a deeper level. The deeper level is, I don't have to even remind myself that Hashem's in charge of what's happening and directing my life, and it's really for my best even though I don't feel it. I don't need that. The higher level is, I just keep on pushing forward. I just keep on fighting. The example, says the Ramchal, is like a general in the army. There's no hashkafa, there's no philosophy, there's no questions and answers. 
I have a role, I have a mission, I am leading my troops into battle, and come hell or high water, we will win this war. That's my only thought. And if this is my position, if this is my role, then there's almost a part of me that thrives in this experience. If you were to ask me yesterday, would you rather just be sitting and relaxing at the army base? Or would you prefer to be in the midst of a raging battle? I would have said, I'd rather not have to fight. I'd rather be sitting back at the base, drinking coffee, schmoozing with my friends. However, now that I'm here in the trenches, there's a part of me that's, that's on fire with the opportunity to stand up for what I believe in and to fight for my country, to defend my citizens. Says the Ramchal, that's the second way of dealing with difficulties or suffering in life. This requires more work and more focus, but it's this sense of mission. This is my role, this is my responsibility, and therefore I'm going to charge forward. Based on these sources, reading the Mishnah together that we have an obligation to make a bracha on that which seems ra, just like we make a bracha on that which seems tov. We don't have to feel the exact same way, but we accept life's challenges and we remind ourselves that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge, Gamzu Latov, and on a deeper plane, I just have to charge forward without asking questions. This is my role, this is my responsibility, this is where I'll shine. Based on this idea, does it sound like it's therefore appropriate or inappropriate to question God? Sounds like it's probably not the best thing to do. Do your job, be a soldier or be a general, lead your army to victory. Don't hack around and ask questions. However, the complexity of this subject is, we do find that there are two types of questions that are expressed by great people throughout Tanakh. One form of questioning is the inquisitive, the, the searching for truth, wanting to understand the, the ways of the infinite. That's one form of questioning we find often. There's a different form of questioning, which superficially sounds even more difficult to understand why it could be appropriate, is more of that visceral, emotional, almost a, an expression of anger when one chooses to question Hashem. These are two forms of suffering, or questioning rather, that we find throughout Tanakh. So a couple of examples. We read the story of Avramavinu going through his Asar Nisyonos, his ten tests, and the last, and obviously the greatest challenge was being told to sacrifice your son. Did Avram question at that point in time? No, there was no question there. So that seems to fit in beautifully with everything we've seen. However, earlier on in the history and the evolution of Avram Avinu, we know 
that when Avram reveals, is revealed that the cities of Stom Vamar are going to be destroyed. So classically, Avram starts to argue and bargain and negotiate with Hashem. And the language that Avram uses with HaKadosh Baruch Hu sounds very brazen. It sounds, it sounds like it's chutzpah. Avram first says, Ha'avtisbet tzadik im Russia. You're going to destroy the entire cities? You're going to consume the righteous together with the wicked? It should be sacrilegious for you, the creator of the universe, to do something like this. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Is it possible that the judge of the entire universe doesn't act with justice? That's a brazen way to question God. Is Avram taken to task for this form of questioning? Do we find anywhere in Chazal that he was, he was uh, criticized for this? No. To the contrary, we see that it was viewed as almost like this heroic effort to, to stand up and try to save humanity, even the Rishoyim, even the wicked people. We find a similar idea when Moshe... This is prior to Hashem speaking to the Jewish people at Har Sinai. Moshe was already told that you should instruct the people to build a boundary around the mountain. Nobody should ascend. Moshe does so. All of Klal Yisrael, they're sitting there ready for the big moment. And then Moshe goes back on Har Sinai, and Hashem seems to say the exact same thing a second time. Moshe, go down and tell the people they may not ascend the mountain at this point in time. So Moshe has the following question. Why would I do that? That's worthless. I already told them what to do. They're all on board. Nobody's pushing back. Why should I do it a second time? That was Moshe's question to Hashem, right? Right before the giving of the Torah. Was that an appropriate question? Or was that viewed in the eyes of Chazal as disrespectful? Take a look at the Ralbag. Ralbag on the bottom of page two. He says, we learn from Moshe's questioning Hashem a very crucial principle in how we should conduct ourselves all throughout life. It's not appropriate for somebody to do something that doesn't make sense. In this case, explains the Ralbag, Moshe already gave that instruction to Klal Yisrael, and therefore it was kosha be'enav lahaza Yisrael, it was difficult in his eyes to go back and warn them again. What's the point? What's the benefit? Even though it's true, Hashem told you to do this. Nonetheless, Moshe Rabbeinu felt, if I don't understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't like doing things for no reason. And therefore, he had the audacity to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, why are you telling me to do this a second time? 
And we learn from Moshe's questioning, this is the way we should conduct ourselves throughout life. Don't do things without an understanding and an appreciation of what you're doing. So you're sitting in class, and somebody has a question. Isaac, ask me an obnoxious question about philosophy and something about the basics of Amuna. No pressure. <laughs> Ari, feel free to chime in if you want to. Didn't, didn't we all come from the back of a turtle? Beautiful. That. Beautiful. <laughs> so that might be an inappropriate question. There are no inappropriate questions, there are only inappropriate people. <laughs> Meaning to say that if someone has a real question and there's something that's bothering me, there's something that's troubling me, even if it's an idea or it's a, it's a belief that I've learned about since I was three years old, but, but something is just not right, I should never feel any sense of hesitation to be able to ask that question and to explore it further. Everybody already knows that God exists. We all believe that Torah is of divine origin. We know that Torah Shabal Peh is true. Maybe, of course. But if there's something that I don't fully get, or I'm not, I'm not cultivating that idea into my, my reality, it, it, it's still somewhat separated from who I am, then explore it. What's the point of asking questions? Because the Rabag teaches us that we learn from Moshe Rabbeinu, you should always ask questions. Even when God is telling you directly to do something, if it doesn't make sense, turn back to God and say, what's the point of doing this? Those are examples of inquisitive questions, trying to understand more about life. In the case of Avram Avinu, he was asking Hashem, why would you go and destroy these cities? They're innocent people there. Avram didn't understand that, so he was questioning. Moshe didn't get why he had to do this particular shlichus of Hashem, so he asked Hashem, why? What is the benefit of questioning? What do we gain? It's the difference between living in darkness and living in light. It's the difference between being half asleep and fully alive. Yeshaya, the great prophet, going back thousands of years, the critique that he gave to Klal Yisrael was, Yan ki nigash kibduni. Yeshaya said, quoting from God, you seem to approach me with your mouth and you give honor, you give lip service. But your heart is so removed from me. There's nothing genuine, there's nothing real. Where's the panemius? Where's the, where's the truth of your avoda? I'm not sensing that. And the Malbim explains, one of the classic commentators on Tanakh, he explains what was this critique of Yeshaya? He was looking around the Jewish world at his time and he had this feeling that most people were complacent just going through the motions, doing the mitzvos, rakmaisim chitzonim, as external, shallow, hollowed actions. 
below machshava v'kavana, without any real thought, without any real internal connection. Yeshai was picking up on this, on this recognition that people weren't really engaged in the Torah lifestyle because there was, a, there was a connection, there was a fire, there was this understanding of what and why they were doing. Rather, they were doing it because culturally it was the accepted norm their parents, their teachers, this is what they learned, and this is what they did. Without ever considering, well, what is the reason behind this mitzvah? What can I be thinking right now to utilize this mitzvah to make it more meaningful? When the, the author of the Sefer Achinuch, when he decided to write his, uh, his book, his main motivation, he shares with us in the introduction, was for his son. He writes, I want you to have a book that goes through all 613 mitzvahs, that gives a brief description of what exactly the mitzvah is, and an understanding behind the mitzvah. Obviously, every mitzvah has an infinite amount of, of layers of depth, but I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the why and the wonder of the mitzvah. In one particular mitzvah, the Sefer Chinuch writes, Al lehem ha-mitzvos achosim. I don't want you, my son, to start your learning of mitzvos and to view them like a closed book. Why? Because pen yivatu behem, you might rebel against the whole, the whole system of Torah and mitzvos. <laughs> if you have no real understanding of what and why you're doing. So to ask a question is not only allowed, but it's encouraged. And we learn that from Moshe Rabbeinu, we learn that from Avram Avinu. There's one place though, like we mentioned briefly in the life of Avram Avinu where he did not question. The time where if there would ever be Akasha, it would be right now. When was that? When Hashem said, take your son, your only son, the one you love, Yitzchak, the son that I gave you a haftacha, I promised you that you would have him with your wife Sarah miraculously, and he'll carry on the legacy. Everything that you've been working for, for your entire life, that'll be carried on to the next generation through Yitzchak. And with that as a backdrop, Hashem comes to Avram Avinu and says, by the way, shechtem. You don't have to be brilliant to be bothered by the question, excuse me, <laughs> this doesn't seem to make any sense. Why didn't Avram Avinu ask the question? If we believe in probing and, and searching for truth, this is the time to do it. To delve a little bit deeper, as he was on his way, walking up to the mountain together with Yitzchak, hand in hand, the Medrash Rabbah tells us that the Satan came to Avram Avinu, meaning that he had these thoughts floating around his head. What was the voice in his head telling him? Saba, Saba, old man! Avadat Libecha, have you lost your mind? 
What are you doing? The son that Hashem gave you, after a hundred years, you're going to now take him and shecht him? What are you thinking? Meaning to say, you're delusional. You thought you had this prophecy from Hashem, and that's why you're willing to give up everything. But maybe you didn't have the prophecy. Maybe you're just hearing voices. Maybe you're just old and senile. What was the response of, 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 of Ramavinu? Al Minas came. Three words. He said, Okay, I'll do it anyway. And then again, the voice comes back. Do you realize you're about to murder your innocent child? You're going to be held responsible for this. The next thing you know, you'll be commanded to take your own life. What was the response of Avram? Al-Minas Cain. Okay. Now it's a strange response because clearly being that personality who was involved with, with all walks of life and convincing people who were living in this backwards, primitive, barbaric society, trying to convince them of the truth of Hashem, I'm sure he was probably pretty good at, at defending his own arguments. So now when you have this voice, this satan in your head, trying to convince you that you, what you're about to do is the wrong move, why don't you answer back with a strong, cogent argument? You should say back to yourself, don't tell me I'm, I'm delusional, don't tell me I'm just hearing voices, I know for sure that was Hashem speaking to me. And no, I'm not going to be held responsible for taking the innocent life of my son, because I'm following the instructions of the Boreola. Why wasn't there more of a robust back and forth? So why didn't Avram question Hashem when he told him to take his son and sacrifice him? And why was there not more of a real discussion within the mind of Avram Avinu when he was having these doubts, he was hearing this voice? So I want to share with you like we started off with, the goal and the methodology of the Hashkafa project is to delve into those Rishonim and Achronim, the great minds of the past, and to listen to the music they share with us. And the Taz, the Taz being one of the most prolific commentators on uh, the Shulchan Aruch and Halacha, he also has a sefer called the Divrei David. And he brings up this question. He asked the question, why didn't Avraham Avinu look back at Hashem and say, why are you telling me to do this? I don't understand. Just like he did previously regarding stone. Why didn't he ask the question? Listen to what the Taz answers. The Taz says, Dishom lohaya rotze lahakshos klum. Here, in this particular situation, Avram Avinu, of course he was bothered by the question. He was plagued by the inconsistency. It didn't make any sense to him. However, he didn't want to express that question verbally. So it wouldn't look like this was a difficult thing to do. It wouldn't look like this was a difficult thing to do. 
What do you mean? Who cares what it looks like? Whatever you're feeling, Hashem is well aware of what's going on in your mind and your heart. What the Taz seems to be saying is that this moment in the life of Avram Avinu was so fragile. This was his greatest challenge, his greatest opportunity. He understood, knowing himself well, that if I was to allow myself to voice the question that's ringing in my mind right now, that could get in the way of doing what I need to do. If I would voice that question because I'm so vulnerable right now, this is so sensitive, this is so difficult, I'm afraid by even expressing those words and showing outwardly that this is so hard, that might be a ma'akev, that might serve as a blockage in being able to go through with this belave sholim, with fullness of the heart and fullness of the mind. So he didn't allow himself to ask the question. Why didn't Avram Avinu answer back to that voice in his mind and explain, no, I'm certain Hashem told me to do this and you're crazy? Because once he potentially we get into a discussion in the back and forth, then you're almost leaving this opening for those doubts to grow and to expand. Once you allow yourself to have that conversation, Sometimes the question's better than the answer. If ultimately right now I have a clarity, this is what I need to be doing, and by allowing myself to get in to this internal dialogue, or allowing myself to ask Hashem, why are you doing this to me? If I'm afraid that might stop me from doing what I need to be doing, so then yeah, at that point, better not to ask the question. Why, why wouldn't... That's a good question. So I assume the answer is that Avram was not sure what Hashem would say. And there might have been more room to feel comfortable with it if the answer was, was calming and soothing and it made sense. But I think there is a major risk involved. And that's what the Taz is saying. I'll give you an example. Right, sometimes we go through difficult situations in life. And if while we're in the moment, I had a conversation with somebody not that long ago. They're going through a whole medical issue right now, which Hashem thinks should be good. But one question that kept on coming up in the conversation was, why is Hashem doing this to me? What am I supposed to be learning from this? We've been through so much. Why is Hashem doing this? And I shared with them, and I've, I've experienced this myself, if you allow your mind to go there right now, that might get in the way with what you need to be doing and the person you have to be. Right now, the only question you have to ask yourself is, what is my role? What is my responsibility? Am I asking all the right questions? Forget hashkafa. Am I right asking the right questions, medically speaking? Am I speaking to the right people? If there's a need for a second opinion, am I getting that from the right source? Sometimes asking the hashkafic question can get in the way with your avodas habore, with your service of God. 
And therefore, the hashkafa is, don't ask that question now. Let's remind ourselves of what the Ramchal said. As much as we can, Gamzu Latova, Hashem is in charge, Hashem, Hashem is directing this, somehow it's for our benefit. And if we could reach that higher level, then we think of the, the general in the army, I have to charge forward. But allowing those conversations to get in the way with my responsibilities as a father or a mother or a sister or a sibling of a, whatever it may be, then that question, it's not inappropriate, but the timing is inappropriate. So we have, this is the questions that we'll classify as the inquisitive. We ask those questions as often and as strong as possible, unless we're afraid it's going to stop us from doing what we need to be doing. That means in your own it's kind of general. If you have a question in your own you feel may interfere with what you're doing, that even as Mrs. Hamashim Lumadla, you should better not ask right now. So we, that's a very slippery slope because sometimes the fact that I have unanswered questions, that itself is serving as a barrier. And if I don't address those questions, so then I, I'm, I'm being stifled. I want to jump to the other form of questioning we find, and we're going to conclude with this. We find emotional questioning as well. Right, this is a very intense discussion tonight. We find emotional questioning. What's an example of that visceral, almost uh, impulsive question? Take a look at the top of page four. David HaMelech cries out to Hashem, Keli, Keli, Lama Zavtani, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That sounds pretty emotional. That's not similar to Avraham Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu asking, why are you doing certain things? You're yelling at God saying, why have you abandoned me? We find the Gemara in Menachos, the famous story that Moshe was actually shown Rabbi Akiva in the future, the amazing caliber of a Talmud Chacham he would be in the Torah that he would share with the world. And then Moshe asks Hashem, what's the reward of a giant like this? And he's shown the picture of Rabbi Akiva being tortured to death. <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu cries out, Ribona Shalolam, Zo Torah Vezus This is his Torah? This is his greatness, and this is his reward? What's going on over here? Again, that's a very, very emotional question. And it's not limited to human beings. We find this even regarding angels. We have in the Yom Kippur service, during the Avoda, during the Sari Haruge Malchus, the angels cried out, Sarfei Malat Soku Bemora, they cried out bitter tears. Zotora, Zoschora. This is the Torah. These are great people and this is what's happening to them. So how does that fit with our whole philosophy in life? How does that fit with the Mishnah in Brachos that says we make a bracha on the Tov and the Ra? This is far from a bracha. This is more than questioning and probing and exploring. This is, this is yelling at God. Where is there a place for yelling at God? So I think here lies such an important hashkafa, which helps, helps us understand many different things that we do all throughout the year. 
there's a distinction between a reaction and a response. Reb Chaim Friedlander brilliantly makes this distinction. A reaction is something that is not a decision. It's, 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 it's beyond the conscious mind. It's just a gut reaction. That's what it is. If somebody was to splash water in your face without being ready for it, you would do this. No matter how strong you are, no matter how much bitachon you have, if somebody hits you in the stomach, you're going to say, ouch, that's a reaction. What's the appropriate reaction when we see suffering? When we see good, special, genuine people having a difficult time? What's the gut reaction? We cry out. We, we feel that pain. That's not a philosophical response, but it's the appropriate, healthy reaction to seeing something so troubling. What's the response? The response is like the Mishnah tells us. We make a bracha. Baruch dynamis. We understand it's all coming from you, Hashem. We make a bracha. All of the examples we'll find, if it's David HaMelech, if it's Moshe Rabbeinu, if it's the angels yelling, those are all examples of a reaction. If I don't have that reaction when something painful happens, when I see injustice, when I see good people who are suffering, if I don't have that reaction, that doesn't mean that I have more bitachon than you do. It means I'm callous. It means I'm numb. It means I don't have the empathy that a regular human being should have. If you're not screaming out in pain when something like that happens, then, then you're lacking something. That's the reaction. The response is, okay, now I take a big deep breath. What's the response of a Jew? I make a bracha. I remind myself, I'm just the, the soldier here. I have to charge forward and ask, what is it that I need to be doing right now? An example of a response is something that we find all throughout the writings of Rav Ephraim Oshri. He has an amazing multi-volume sefer, Mimamakim, where he was the, at the time, very young, but a brilliant Rav during the times of the war. People would come to him with all sorts of terrible, terrible questions, trying to manage life and halacha as they were going through real suffering. <laughs> he says in the introduction to his Sefer, the reason why I feel I have this, this holy obligation to write this book and to record the questions that were posed to me and the answers that I gave to people, is that this should be a living testament on the spiritual life of hundreds of thousands of Yidin. This should give us a little bit of an insight to the milchama, that inner war that they were waging every day as they were going through those years of suffering. I want to share with you the questions and the response of, 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 of Helega Yidin, of holy Jews. So it comes out here, and although again we're just scratching the surface, are we allowed to question God? The answer is yes, and we're encouraged to do so. Why is it so important? 
Because the more we understand and the broader our horizons are, the more we can see with clarity that has an impact on everything we do. So yes, we should be questioning. If we're truth seekers, we have to be probing and analyzing. And then my whole life can be transformed. Is there a limit to that questioning? Yes. If right now, allowing myself to verbalize that question that's in my mind, if it's going to prevent me, or it's going to jeopardize my ability of doing what I need to do, hold off on the question. Even Avram Avinu, after he was told, don't sacrifice your son, at that point, he did ask the question. He didn't hold it in forever. He said, okay, now, now that's done with, Baruch Hashem. Can I ask you, what is going on over here? Avram asked the question. When it comes to the, the places throughout Tanakh, where it seems like there's this angry, visceral questioning of God, we view those as the gut reaction, the healthy gut reaction. That's for the split second. The response, though, is the Mishnah. The response is, we remind ourselves that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in total control. There are no inappropriate questions. We should be encouraged, and we should encourage others to keep on asking, to keep on exploring, not to feel stifled, but to feel empowered, and to understand that the more we ask and the more we express our concerns about anything and everything within Torah, the more clarity, the more conviction, and the more connection we'll have. Shkoya.